Recapping the Hollywood week that was getting you ready for the Hollywood week to come, and it has been weird lately. This is Mike, Mike, and Oscar Weekly. Hashtag MMOW. Hashtag Mike, Mike, and Oscar Weekly. I'm your co-host, Mike One. Co-host also Mike on the horn as well. Michael. Yes. How's it going, buddy? I think uh, I think I'm getting restless. Are you getting similarly restless? I don't. Yeah. No. Who cares? What is time? <laughs> what is anything? Like, there's no events anymore. We're all just stuck in these houses. But uh, I, I guess that might be for a good thing because it seems like this Corona stuff might be going away. And with that, maybe some states are trying to ease back restrictions. Maybe mm-hmm. they're jumping the gun too soon. But that's part of the news that we will get into as we have once again a news and info packed Mike, Mike, and Oscar Weekly for you today. And we'll start right off with the news of the week. News, 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 Michael, we had a few Texas movie theaters reopen this weekend. We had a handful in San Antonio and Austin. A Variety article written by Gene Madaus. Apparently, it was going well. They have airline security check-in like safety measures. Uh, They're playing newer stuff like Sonic, classics like The Goonies, newer favorites like Selena and American Sniper. What do you make of this? I think I would protest The Goonies being played as a classic. Uh, (laughs) Look. The Texas numbers haven't been going well overall. I mean, there's there's a follow-up story that, you know, they, they had almost 1,300 new cases, yeah. which was their second highest day of corona cases going. Georgia tried a similar rollback in easing the restrictions. They kind of made everybody go back to work, and they also had over 1,000 new cases within the first 24 hours that that happened, which was one of their highest totals for the day. This thing's not gone yet. I mean, this is, this, is, this is not a coincidence that the states that are easing the restrictions most that are just kind of like opening the floodgates and letting the, the water rush in are seeing these spikes in these cases, I don't think. I, like, you don't need to be a, a scientist to figure out what's going on there, that this coronavirus is still around and prevalent and nasty, right? I agree with you. I, I could understand why people are getting so restless sure. just walking oh, yeah. around the neighborhood now. Like I'm seeing like miniature block parties, you know, taking my dog around right. and whatnot, where people are just, you know, fed up with the social distancing. So I, I do get it. And I understand that maybe their numbers, and they were never hit super hard, those two states, maybe their numbers went down so low that they thought they could reopen and it, it would go up a little bit, but it wouldn't go up that much. And and this is the scary thing to me. Like we right now, we have astronomical numbers where we are in Connecticut, mm-hmm. New York. But Mike, if if our numbers go super low, like these other states, I would dream to be in a state with such low numbers. So when when it happens, <laughs> what's what's the point of reopening? Because we just see the increase. It's terrifying. Yeah, that's, that's been kind of my stance for a while, especially if this thing is going to be bouncing back in the fall like uh, a bunch of the medical professionals we see on TV keep assuring us it will. I don't know what the end game is here. I don't know how this... Obviously, social distancing is like the new normal yeah. in, in terms of we're going to be have to try to stay six feet away from each other in supermarkets, and I think that's just going to be what happens now. And until we get either a vaccine or build resistance or something, somehow the, the something breaks one way or another here, I, this is just what it is. It's just not worth it right now to like just 
roll back all restrictions and try to say that life is normal because you heard one news report one time say the curve is starting to diminish. Yeah. Like that curve can go right back up real quick on you, I think. Well, this thing is so damn contagious. That's why. And and I think, right. you know, I think movie studios have been, you know, prophesying this whole thing for a while. They've been moving their slates. We also got another, you know, big movement from Lionsgate this past week they moved John Wick 4 well that's because of the Matrix 4 and Chad Stahelski and whatnot there he's working on both projects but they moved the Hitman Hitman's Bodyguard's Wife Spiral Barb and Star they moved all these films till next year they didn't even mess with it Mike why not this kind of been one of my thinking too I admire the studios that are holding off until the, the winter and they're holding off hope until 2020 and we're still going to try to have a film year and maybe we will but if you don't have an awards contender or something you see as an awards contender you have something that you think can make money as a blockbuster like a John Wick property mm-hmm. why yeah of course you should move it out that would be my pl- I, I think that kind of makes the most sense you want to it's supposed to be a summer popcorn blockbuster anyway so why try to force it into any kind of November or December release get it to next summer hopefully this thing will be died down by then and we can go back and start making money at the theaters for these studios yeah the matrix 4 moved because their production got halted and therefore john wick 4 which is employing a lot of the same people that had to get moved as well so i think we're going to start seeing scheduling changes due to those reasons as well production reasons it's as simple as that even though a lot of the news at the end of last week was that we got some arkansas productions with david arquette and whatnot he's in two productions that are trying to reopen we got a lot of uh we got a lot of people trying to come up with ways in which they can safely start, you know, making content again. But it just it, it doesn't seem likely, even in these low impact areas, these lower hit regions, because this thing is just so damn contagious. Well, it'd be nice if, you know, I don't want to get on a political rant and I'm trying not to, but it would be nice if there was leadership on a federal level here. To, like, you know, say what the plan was for getting these industries restarted, that would be, I think, it would give people a lot of hope. Because right now, for the most part, if you're in any kind of industry, you're basically at the whims of whatever your governor's plan is. And you don't know what those are. Not every governor is going on TV every day like the ones around here are, because we're the hardest hit nation in the the country right now. You're basically just kind of sitting and hoping. you got to either wait to get the word from someone, or you got to kind of force your own way. And it turns out when the people, when the industries and the studios and the people with money that are trying to force their own way to reopen and reestablish themselves, I don't think it's going well right now. We've been following China's playbook, and they kind of half reopened a few spots, and then they closed it down again, at least with their movie theaters, right? I mean, we're, we're basically doing the same thing that happened over there we're just delayed a couple months so my fear is that yeah i mean we're basically in for for another couple months of this unfortunately and we'll stop and start and stop and start on the reopening yeah, right but unfortunately that just it, it costs lives and it really pressures the uh the, the you know the medical establishment that's the scary thing like every time you take one of those risks and you reopen before this thing is gone you know it's just so damn contagious that now we're you know, we're looking at a, a you know, a rebirth and and, it, and so many more people have it and so many more people don't know that they have it and therefore keep spreading it because, oh, my God, I mean, that's the scariest thing about this. And, Mike, I would love it if we had, you know, someone with a bird's eye view who understood all the ins and outs of right. this just say, hey, we're down for six months and this, right. this is the reality of it. And here's the, you know, here's where the uh, the vaccine is and where we're at with that. Yeah. And, and and this is the real plan when we can have a vaccine that's fast tracked uh, into production. And I, it's not happening. No. And it's going to be 
I mean, interesting isn't even a strong enough word. We're going to be very, very curious to see how the movie industry responds to this because it seems like the major slate is being pushed off till 2021. Are we going to have... Uh, I still think we will have an Oscars one way or another because I don't think they can go a year without capitalizing on the ad revenue, especially right. in the year when the museum is opening after like a decade-long buildup. But what's that going to look like? What's that even going to be? Do they even bother actually awarding movies or are they just going to talk about upcoming properties and reward people who did well this year to do what they could do? Uh, you know, we're still very early with all that talk. It is only May after all, but uh, man, this, this year is, is it's getting, it, it's not looking great right now. And it's, we're trying to find hope for the future and hopefully in the next week or so, maybe we get a little more clarity on where we can, something we can cling to and say, <laughs> bring us a little happiness for once. I think, you know, the festivals are are figuring this stuff out, you know, months in advance. That's kind of another forecaster in a way. And, you know, speaking of forecasters, we had Scott Feinberg and Rebecca Keegan do a back and forth on The Hollywood Reporter this week. And we had uh, Brugham in and Ann Thompson all weigh in last week from IndieWire. We had a lot of great uh, articles written about the Oscars and, and its future. And my guess is it's probably going to get delayed at least a month just to allow a little more of an award season, especially, you know, with these festivals going online. For the most part, you still need a couple months worth of worth of buzz building or even if you right. even if you you know condense that down a little bit but i think our last two breaking news episodes or our last two orcs mike they really come into play here because what is the movie industry going to do to get these films to everybody who's content starved and getting more bored by the minute i wonder if uh, universal had it right from the very start and i wonder if if they can get more communication between the theaters and, and give them a cut you know, just give them. That's a- what it's going to have to come down to. If you go PVOD, you got to, I mean, AMC proved you got to get the NATO involved and you got to have to work out some sort of percentage to get them to anywhere. And POVOD, I think, is is a viable route and it makes the most sense. We live in a streaming world. Why wouldn't that make sense if everything can be accessed digitally? Yeah, again, like we talked about in those ORCs, it's going to take away from word of mouth and maybe there's a way you can sell one ticket per viewing on VOD as well, but there's got to be some answer within there to build momentum. You have bona fide money makers with all the Oscar movies and all the contenders. That's that's there every year. One of the biggest reasons why the Oscars is such a great thing to talk about is because it's kind of a fusion between, you know, Hollywood big business. You get a minimum number of dollars every year from these Academy films. It's reliable. It's consistent. And yeah, you'll have the moonlights that don't make a ton money but probably made decent money on vod etc but in most years that best picture winner is going to make a couple hundred million dollars at the very least and you got a lot of the nominees that do so as well so you got to get these movies to people somehow and if you're not opening movie theaters for the next three six nine months who knows pvod is really the only option and they're gonna have to make a deal they're going to have to make a deal with the the movie theaters, uh, all these movie studios, and work this out somehow. Yeah, I, I echo everything you just said. I don't see, short of there being some kind of grand plan implemented from the top down on a nationwide scale, which we as of yet certainly have not had, I don't see any other option than them figuring this out for themselves. And I think part of figuring it out for themselves is going to have to be embracing the digital concept. 
They're going to have to. And I think Tribeca and all those film festivals for the fall, you know, they definitely are taking a page out of your book here. And you've been forecasting this for a while, but I, I think they're doing the right thing with the We Are One Festival and trying to gain, you know, some some eyes on, on products there. And Tribeca announced their awards this past week, Mike. So I, I think it's a good time to maybe talk about some of those and turn the page from the depressing stuff. Why do we start <laughs> these episodes off so depressingly? Well, that's what life is right now, unfortunately. But yeah, we did have uh, Tribeca handing out some awards. They did so online. Alice Wu's the half of it won the Founders Award for Best Narrative Feature. Yeah, I love this movie, Mike. This just came on Netflix. It's in their top ten, and that probably means a lot of people watched it. I, I think Tribeca has been tabbing really good rom coms of late. Like Plus One was yeah. one of my favorite movies of last year uh, with Maya Erskine, and I just rewatched it. Co- Incidentally, on Hulu, Mike, and I, I was so happy after that rewatch. I, I tweeted about it and everything, and the half of it is of that vein. It is a terrific rom com. It's more of the redux of a classic story, like Ten Things I Hate About You did for uh, did for Shakespeare. Cyrano right. de Bergerac is kind of the you know the backdrop of this one, and I thought it worked perfectly. I mean, Netflix people you just click on this this is a fun movie i mean the the romance is level-headed you get really smart kids and i that's why i think i love this so much because i i work with high school kids and they really do get it a lot of them i mean some of them are dumbasses and they'll probably be dumbasses for the rest of their lives <laughs> and i can't help them i can't help them but <laughs> no kidding but i do think you know, you get these streetwise kids. You get these kids that understand much more than than you sometimes, and you learn from them. And I, I thought the comedy worked. I thought the romance was touching. And Mike, they showed the making of and the eating of bratwurst tacos in the Midwest. And this might be hmm. one of the greatest ideas ever because it looked delicious. This whole family was eating bratwurst tacos that added three points to my grade, B plus 87. <laughs> the half of it totally worthy of the Founders Award for Best Narrative Feature. The half of it is a decent movie, and the other half of it is food porn, as it always is. So what do, you, do you put mustard on them? What do you put on those? Oh, yeah. How are they made? Yeah, you got to do mustard with some veggies, yeah. but it, basically yeah. it's a brat, brat with, and a taco. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad it satiated a lot of your cravings there on a lot of levels. Uh, moving on to other Tribeca Awards, Steve Zahn actually won Best Actor for his work in Cowboys. How about that? A Steve Zahn comeback. I We're mean, going to kidnap Judith and set Darren up with Sandy. Saving Silverman's a terrible movie. Let's be honest. Oh, how dare you? It's terrible, but it's great. We loved I it. I love that We movie. absolutely love that, that movie. a hundred times a piece. Steve Zahn from That Thing You Do. A Perfect Getaway is an underrated film, too. As yes, like it is. Horror film that was a psychological thriller and whatnot. So Cowboys also won the best screenplay award. Uh, I think director director Anna Kerrigan is getting a lot of buzz lately as well. Yeah, the synopsis for Cowboys from IMDb: Troy and young transgender son Joe are on the run from Joe's conservative mother in the Montana wilderness. In this gripping family drama, Hollywood keeps making the same movies over and over again. Now it sounds like a, a really uh, of the moment, really timely. Uh, True. Uh, what's the word? I can't think of it right now. Synopsis, so like a, a plot. Words, you know, you sit inside long enough, you sit on your couch, everything just, your mind goes to mush, and I want to talk about Michael Jordan, but we're getting there. Uh, Materna won awards for Best Actress and Cinematography from Tribeca as well. 
Yeah, that premise reads a closely observed psychological portrait of four women whose lives are bound together by an incident on the New York City subway. So we have American Awards and we have World Awards at this festival, which I think is really cool. So these are movies to look out for. In terms of the, you know, the, the World Awards, we have Asia, a mother-daughter film from Israel at won three, including the uh, Nora Ephron Award, the award for Best Actress and Cinematography. We had The Hater. It won the uh, World Best Narrative Feature. Now, this is from Paul. Polish director and and he you know directed the Oscar nom last year Corpus Christi Jan Komasa uh, this is an animated film Mike about a young man searching for purpose in a net of hatred and violence that he tries to control what the wow. hell could that, that be about very- Sounds very heavy. You're going to have to ask our buddy Wojciech if he's heard anything about it there. Also, yeah. uh, you moved on too quickly from from the uh, Materna Award about the four women because I was going to make a sisterhood of the traveling seven train joke, but you didn't let me. So <laughs> now we're here. Look, Tribeca hasn't Sorry. really been a great harbinger of mainstream awards to come, but like you kind of said at the top where you were equating the half of it to plus one from last year, uh, they've kind of been a harbinger of at least things that have piqued MMO's interest. Yeah. And at the same time, again, repeating what you said, it's nice to have any awards handed out in the world of film to discuss right now, to discuss anything other than coronavirus. But last year, they highlighted the Founders Award to Wendell Pierce. They highlighted Burning King. They put that on our map. Blow the Man Down was another one. So they are... Mm-hmm. They're very of the moment themselves, and they bring us a lot of movies that, that we do get to and we appreciate. So they do at least have good taste and do know what they're rewarding uh, when they get there. And we'll take any sense of normalcy that we possibly can at this point. Yeah, I was going to try and go to Tribeca this year. We both right. talked about at least a couple weekends we were going to you know, get our butts in those seats. And then yeah. something happened, Michael. But <laughs> look, we also had another virtual award show this past weekend. The Kids' Choice Awards happened. I didn't watch it. You didn't watch it. But you know, you had Avengers Endgame, Frozen. And two, Dove Cameron apparently won Best Actress for Descendants 3. Is that like the George? I, I didn't know they made a Descendants 2 with George Clooney. Yeah, what right. That? No, it's that's the, the Descendants. <laughs> is, I had the same idea when I first heard of it, but my niece is obsessed with it. And I have since been set straight. It's They, they put all the Disney princesses and evil queens and all the Disney characters in the same universe. Mm-hmm. And these are their Descendants all our friends now and there's good guys and bad guys so they'll like they'll have Belle from Beauty and the Beast grandson is teaming up with Cruella DeVille's <laughs> grandson that type of thing and they're making a whole franchise on it that place knows how to make money and I like how all our I wish this guy could win picks you know came through at the Kids Choice Awards which says a lot about us like The Rock <laughs> won Best Actor and Tom Holland won and Best Female Voice was Beyonce and Best Male Voice was Josh Gad and these are people that we love and we keep saying they should win some awards and they do they just win these kids awards so we are men children is what this is saying the kids choice awards growing up used to be like appointment viewing for me too i remember blocking out my saturday night on nickelodeon like getting a blanket and laying on the living room floor just to watch it and living and dying with every award so i I was an awards junkie from a young age i was you know turning the girls down they were all coming to me (laughs) right no i'm not going out right i'm not going not this weekend not this weekend i can't you just can't all you know, be be a part of my life. I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm amazed I was able to come up with a female's <laughs> name on a whim that quickly. That's how detached from the other sex I've been lately. So, uh, let's go into what we're watching, Michael. Yeah, it's what we're watching, and we both watched a couple of things. First and foremost, we both watched the Parks and Rec live reunion show, Michael. 
I loved it, right? I, I, yes, it was easy. Mm-hmm. It was whatever the opposite, opposite of vegetables is because they were just catering to fans. They were playing all the hits. Yes. Sometimes literally as well as they did play 5,000 Candles <laughs> in the Wind to end with everyone. That was really cute. But it, it was everything I wanted during a global pandemic. Fan service. It had a good message. And it also had a lot of gags you know, built into it, which I was surprised by. Like, it's really hard to do this. We've watched Saturday Night Live. We're going to review it in a second. It's really hard to get the gags in, but the Chris Pratt gag of him being locked in his shed (laughs) was hilarious because obviously he's not married to Aubrey Plaza in real life. So that was funny. And then you had, you know, all of the, you know, the comeback uh, characters like like Purd, who is so much funnier now. For, for for I said for I wrote for some reason, but it's for an obvious reason. Since we've been podcasting and been interviewing a lot of people, like he makes all of those rookie mistakes. Right, <laughs> right. So stupid, it's relatable in a sad way. Yeah, that we've made too, and especially in our earlier <laughs> interviews. I, I'm sure Feinberg and those other guys were like rolling their eyes. We were asking like, how do you feel about feelings and <laughs> stupid shit? But I I loved it. I just finished reading the book. Uh, the greatest love story ever told by Megan Mullally with uh, you know her husband Nick Offerman. There, your brother recommended that to me, Schmave. So thank you, Schmave. It's a it's one of the funniest audiobooks ever. It's six hours, probably worth the twelve bucks or the Audible credit. So people, go get that. You'll feel better. Good, good. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad yeah. Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally are all absolutely hysterical too. So seeing them, t- I was figuring they were going to find a way to work Megan Mullally into this <laughs> if everyone was broadcasting from their homes as this was sold on, and they did not disappoint. And Mike, of course, all the characters were funny too. I thought everybody had a moment or, or two, and the Jerry stuff was was making me laugh. And then how about that John Ralphio commercial? Oh, that was killing me. <laughs> Just gives he out put, his phone number. He put the uh, the full take of that on Instagram did Ben Schwartz and it was exactly as good as I thought it would be. It's only like a little over a minute, but it's just, it's him at his peak ridiculousness. It's excellent. He needs to go for peak ridiculousness I think. That's why <laughs> he needs to be animated characters like Sonic. I have to watch that Middle Ditch and Schwartz uh, improv show on Netflix. That's like going to be for next week. I, I, I was saving that in a way because we it's had so, so much good. appointment viewing this past week and uh, yeah, my brother's been recommending it to me like crazy, so we're going to have to do that but the reason why we probably didn't do that is because we watched four hours of the michael jordan show on espn the last dance mike episodes three through six so i was let down by the rodman episode which was episode three i think it was Mm, i agree with you on that they kind of just took footage from his documentary that you probably saw too right for better or worse that was like a 30 for 30 so yeah that wasn't great and it wasn't new it wasn't groundbreaking but otherwise i like i was a little bored at the beginnings of each of the the two viewings on Sunday nights, but then the, like the last ninety minutes is just I would watch that for hours on end. Like, give me fifty hours of this show, I would watch it. Oh, I'm I'm absolutely with you. And when they finally got into the the gambling story, and I imagine this is we're getting towards the last four episodes here, but I imagine at some point they're gonna tie in the gambling story with that longtime rumor about if he actually left to play baseball because of gambling and some backdoor dealing with David Stern. I imagine that's coming. That's going to be towards the end. I don't expect any kind of huge revelation from it, but I think that I would be upset if they didn't touch on that. But to have that play in and play such a big role, I was really looking forward to that all year, uh, ever since I heard about the documentary coming out. And I also thought it was unfair that they, and this is what we do, we all do it, and it is unfair, but mm-hmm. to tie in Michael Jordan's lack of political activism in 1990 and look at that with 2020 eyes, 
like, of course, if that player was on that stand during these times, I find it very difficult to believe Michael Jordan wouldn't pass comment about anything related to activism because the political realm is so intertwined with everything these days, including professional sports and pop culture. So to criticize him for not doing that, like we, like they did in episode five, I think it was Mm -hmm. that kind of rubbed me a little bit of the wrong way. Well, this is like a treatise on celebrity, on idol worship, on the media's coverage of everything. And it is fascinating how, you know, we're looking at it through modern eyes, but you know, Michael Jordan was was built up to be like this perfect human and we've seen this time and again and we're addicted to it and we're probably guilty of it all the time even you and I with some of these Oscar hopefuls like people are people and people are you know as good as they are they're probably you know they're probably screwing up left and right all the time and Michael Jordan legitimately probably had a gambling problem here and what he said in that episode was like just quintessential you know walking back a gambling problem as Bill Simmons put it on his podcast you know his recent pod with Ryan Russillo there so I, I thought that you know you had some great moments w- with that whole thing and it's really setting up like you said the next four episodes so it's, I also liked the uh, the Phil Jackson learning how to coach stuff in Puerto Rico my god I, I love the piston stuff I, I can never get enough of the bad boys pistons and how they just lifted weights in the Rocky montage before the next <laughs> season I mean that was great and then th- I thought the best moment of the series so far was when Michael Jordan was shown the Isaiah Thomas commentary on that that infamous walkout before they shook hands and the non-sportsmanship there like that is what this documentary should lean more into I thought that was perfect yeah I'm I'm with you that was that was fantastic and I I truly appreciate that as well and I like that Michael Jordan seems to harbor that resentment just as strongly today as he did back in the back when it happened in the late 80s I I Gleaned my new motto. I don't. I hadn't listened to Bill Simmons yet, but that's certainly the motto that I'm going to hold for myself from now on. I don't have a gambling problem. I just have a competition problem. And your wife hasn't. Tell everyone. <laughs> yeah, and your wife uh, hasn't left you yet. Right. Yeah. That'll. That's. That's what I'm going to live my life by from now on. I just. I need to win. That's all it is. I was laughing at you during my watching <laughs> of this, but yeah, last night started off with the you know the dream team stuff, and, and maybe that's not as interesting because we've seen a hundred docs on it before from NBA TV to. ESPN. So that kind of bored me a little bit. I was surprised, but they still had, you know, footage of that infamous practice, which I hadn't seen before, Michael. And they, you know, the, the, the episodes before had all the Magic Johnson stuff, you know, the hug when he won the championship and all that tied into the building of the new rivalry between Magic and Jordan at that practice, which was like a major throwdown. So I, I loved uh, the end of that sequence. And then you had, I mean, look, I, I, I needed them to address my pain. (laughs) And I was starting to feel left out. I was starting to feel like they were going to gloss over it. I was wondering if they were going to address how Michael tormented my childhood, my nine-year-old self, when he beat my Knicks year after year. And I'm, I'm I'm here to tell you, it still hurts. And I'm still yelling at the television screen when Charles Smith goes up and up again, and he can't make a layup. And, and I'm still you know, exhilarated when John Starks dunks over him, and I'm still feeling elated when they're up 
Mike, I was nine years old, and I was, you think I'm hopeful and romantic now? I was hopeful every game. We're going to turn it around. We're going to win. And they just beat us once, twice, three times, four times in a row after we were up. And I was just such a diehard Knicks fan, but I never gave up hope, and it still hurts to this day. It became a running joke amongst my friends when we would play pickup basketball before the game would start. One of us would just yell Chuck Smith and fire the ball into the rim as hard as we can. Uh, so I'm sorry to tell you that, but that's something we've done for a long time. Well, that was I my basketball little... career, by the way. I was just <laughs> leading the league in offensive rebounds, playing in short white guy games. And that was my life. My life as a basketball player. I didn't know it then at nine years old, but that would be the rest of, you know, my pickup basketball. Uh, I, I stopped in eighth grade, stopped playing organized. And then, yeah, the pickup basketball, just missing layups. <laughs> We also had uh, other sports going on in the weekend, though, Mike. The NFL draft, we haven't touched on it yet. So this was adorable, wasn't it? I, I think I watched almost every pick, minus some pee breaks, and I got to hand it to them. I love this broadcast. You had the commissioner, Roger Goodell, doing his impersonation of Fred Rogers for, for three days, which was, uh, again, adorable to see him in his you know natural habitat there, which I was surprised you know, it wasn't like a, a real stage set. You know, I, I didn't know they were going to make it look like his living room, which it was his lip, you know, his man cave there. So I thought that was adorable. And then you had all of the families with the, the coaches and the GMs and they're mugging for the cameras trying to get on national TV. I, I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah, the presentation was very good, but do I need to know every fucking backstory about everybody? Like, no. they they drew, they broadcasted this thing on seventeen different <laughs> channels. You could have had one that was dedicated to the family life and the home life growing up. I understand sprinkling it in there for like to relate to the players and fill people in who are maybe being forced to watch by a significant other or something and human interest stories. I get all that, but it, it was overkill with what they were doing on ESPN anyway. Well, the tra tragedy tray, tragedy tray Wingo was just every time he came. Yeah. On, you're like, oh no, here we go again. Somebody died horrific death yes. in their family. His second cousin died the night before the <laughs> Olympic, you know, 200 meter final. Oh my God, it's just, oh, just a parade of sadness every time Trey Wingo came on. But I still say, you know, like the, the Vrabels looking like the Hewitt family from a certain Texas massacre. You had uh, Cliff, Cliffy Kingsbury, Michael. Oh my God. Like the well, New York. Well, that was, he won the draft. He might have won quarantine. He may have won 2020 <laughs> with that look from his inside his mansion that looked like he literally lives in a glass house in the middle of paradise the the new york sports people the radio people were just gushing like what must his sex life be oh my god they were just <laughs> all over that but yeah he looked like he was living in the capital of pnm and during you know the rest of the quarantine he'll be re-watching old hunger games because he's that rich <laughs> I but the actual Hunger Games, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's hosting his own. Absolutely. Uh, I was sad. I'm always sad when Dave Gettleman is involved in my life. Yeah. I'm happy with the players the Giants ended up with. I'm not happy with the lack of movement on the draft board. If you compare the, what the team is to what the team could be, if any competent GM was in there, it'd be miles different. But that said, I like Xavier McKinney. I like Andrew Thomas. I'm right. excited to see Matt Perrett. Whatever. It's going to be 2-14 and 14 again. But this is funny. This happens to us every year where we talk ourselves into the our favorite team's picks, even though we're like, wait, what about this guy and that guy? And it was crazy because I was like on The Athletic, I was reading the draft guide, you know, every pick, and I was like, all right, these are the pros and cons. And I was watching the highlight films. But even before, like, a, a, a later pick, I would watch, like, 20 highlight films. Oh, I want this guy. Oh, I really want this guy. <laughs> Ooh, give me him. Give me him. And then, of course, the Giants would pick, like, a guard. 
<laughs> right, right. Of course. With no highlight films. A big ugly, yeah. Which is fine. We need them. We but. need them. But still, it's a, they find a way to just – they, they have this knack for disappointing all of the fans of the Giants every yes. single year. And we really can never get wise to it. It's like the whole you know celebrity thing. We are going to be suckers for that perfect – you know, idol worship kind of celebrity every single time. And when they are shown to be human, we'll be like, what? <laughs> it, ha- right. it happens. It how happens at the draft. And this, this is crazy how sports is, you know, imitating life, imitating art, imitating life. Anyway, Mike, well, the last thing we watched was the Saturday night live at home thing. We watched this together. What'd you think? Uh, Pete Davidson's a star. Mm. And I firmly believe in my head that he just called up Adam Sandler to put that like twosome together and have oh, a duet. Oh, that was so that funny. It was hilarious. There's good and bad. I'm not going to bash SNL for like the awkwardness because it is, there are awkward moments. But look, I appreciate the attempt at new content and it, it does give them a chance to flex their creative wings, which they wouldn't do otherwise. They have to come up with kind of new stuff that works in a totally different format than they've ever been used to doing that nobody's really ever tried to do. I know there's some YouTube comics and stuff, but it's not like there's anybody that's gotten hugely famous off of the comedy they do from YouTube, which is kind of what the SNL people need to do right now. So I think the degree of difficulty is extremely high. And when you have that, sometimes you're going to get a lot of flops. But when something hits like the Pete Davidson song with Adam Sandler did, it's going to be a big hit. And Chloe Fineman's becoming a star throughout her quarantine. So yes. that, that's really cool. And then every time A.D. Bryant and Kate McKinnon like team up on a sketch, like it's been the funniest sketch of the last two episodes. <laughs> so the, the grocery store, store sketch had me dying. And then last week, you know, you had the, uh, the whole fake Zoom call, the business right. conference call. So they, they're just killing it. Yeah, you get some excruciatingly bad scenes and bad sketches, but that's typical SNL, right? This was more true. of a typical Saturday Night Live episode than than the first one. I think they had built up to better stuff in the first special, and this one was very hit and miss. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think that's a good assessment. As far as some other entertainment stuff uh, that we did watch, I'll go quick through mine. I rewatched The Babysitter, which was just a, a, a cheeky horror movie. Samara Weaving was one of the stars of it. And oh, good. I loved it when it first came out. I loved it on rewatch. It's exactly what you expect it to be. It's kind of gross. It's kind of stupid, and, but it's a lot of campy fun. So I got to uh, try it. Yeah, I, I think anybody that loves horror would get uh, their money's worth with that. Uh, I finished Succession both seasons. Uh, it's oh, wow. fantastic. It's <laughs> you really binged fantastic. It. Yeah, I went right through it, and it's so good. I'm a huge fan of Roman. I think I will die a huge fan of Romans. I'm a huge fan of Kendall's as well. I will say the season two finale. Yeah. <laughs> I wish something else happened. I won't ruin it, but... Uh, <sighs> Uh, come on, we're just doing like. Come on, come on. That's what I'll say, and you'll know what I'm talking about. I I, I wasn't crazy about what Kendall did at the end there. Uh, I watched this series on YouTube. I guess it's from Vice originally. It's called mm-hmm. The Devil You Know. Uh, I was getting into a, into a true crime kick, so I watched. I uh, went down a rabbit hole of some true crime stuff. It's a four part uh, documentary series. It's about these like gruesome murders about this guy who oh, was wow. convinced he was you know from Satan and down in North Carolina, or Virginia, that area happened. Didn't happen that long ago either, but uh, the fallout it didn't go so much with the murder, but so much as it was the fallout that happened and the court case that filed and the effect of the uh, the lives encountered because of him. Uh, very interesting. It, it, you know, it, you can stomach it. It's not gross, but the deaths are gross. It, uh, it's... That type of stuff just fascinates me. It always will. I'm a big sucker for cult and, like, angels and devils type worship, and I, I don't 
understand the people that are wired that way. They always fascinate me, so I'm easy to get sucked into that. And as far as people who fascinate me, I'll also say <laughs> the dark side of the ring, which is another uh, Viceland uh, product. A lot of behind-the-scenes wrestling documentaries. They do one documentary each week. This season started with a two-part about the Chris Benoit murders, uh, and they mm. had mm. intersections with drug kingpins. They've had intersections with John Stossel from ABC. They just do a really, really good job, which is heightened by the fact that the WWE doesn't give them any help at all, obviously. I mean, they, they're all reliant on the words of old wrestlers and people who aren't contracted with WWE. They can't really use any WWE footage because the WWE wants no part of this show. So uh, they do a really, really good job of retelling the stories and recreating some scenes. That's uh, That's been my watch list for the most part. So my biggest takeaway here is that you probably finished Parks and Rec, that you went to the dark side this week. Because I'm afraid to ask you a follow-up question on either of those. I'm glad you rambled through it. <laughs> no, I, I haven't. I've been going in and out. Like, Parks and Rec in the office will be what I have when I don't have anything to watch. And I'm trying. It'll be what I do, like, tonight, for instance. Because I'm in between shows and I haven't taken the dive. And it takes me so long to get geared up to take the dive into something new that I just default. I've already started doing it with The Office again. Okay, I'll just good. default to rewatching The Office. So you're balancing yourself that way exactly all right that makes sense and that's how we do it with movie watching too like we'll we'll go to a festival we'll we'll try you know we'll try to watch some parades of sadness in between (laughs) some of the popular stuff and uh, i don't know if i did that i I did it a little bit with south by southwest this past you know two weeks but i watched i am not okay with this on netflix this was uh jonathan entwistle and christy hall entwistle made the end of the effing world series that i love this is the same kind of series 20 minute episode Episodes. I watched it in an afternoon, and Sophia Lillis from It, all of the young actors in this, a couple actors from It, in fact, they're they're great, and it's just showcased for their acting talent. So it's really good. I miss high school kids. I miss working with them, and this was kind of a show where I was like, stop doing these bad things, but also, <laughs> you know, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I watched The Willoughbys, Mike, the animated film on Netflix there. It is morally bankrupt, is beautifully animated, (laughs) is utterly preposterous, it is delightfully silly, and if you may allow me one more film critic-y set of modifiers, thoroughly entertaining. I I really enjoyed this. Uh, They ratcheted up the Ronald Dahl, Tim Burton kind of tone, you know, and they pulled it off somehow. So if Claws was nominated last year, I think the Willoughbys might might find its way into the best animated feature five here, B+. Where does it rank in terms of something like Onward? You know, it's right on the same level as Onward. I gave them both B plus 87, so I could see them duking it out for a fifth spot if that's what it comes down to. But I, I think uh, I think this is better than Claws in my mind, uh, even though it's it's uh, totally ridiculous. But it, it somehow pulls off the tone because in the beginning it's ridiculous. At the end it's ridiculous. I don't care. I know I'm in for a ridiculous plot. You know, it sets up my expectations, so I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm going to take a dive on that. I'm excited to watch it. You'll hate it, I'm sure. But, Mike, <laughs> I watched a bunch of the South by Southwest short films, and I watched two of the features. My Darling Vivian, I wanted to mention that again. It's about Johnny Cash's first wife. And like I said in the last episode, I think this is a really strong doc, but it, it highlights something that we've talked about on this show when Don Shirley's family comes out against Green Book and says, you know, this is not the representation of Don Shirley that we know and that we remember. This is ridiculous. And when... You know, Rocket Man and Bohemian Rhapsody happen, and you just get these flat, one-dimensional, dramatically fail, dramatic failures. You know, these vicious portrayals of these side characters. When you get that, it's just bad all around, and it's so right. unrealistic, and it's such a lazy writing. And basically, this doc 
about uh, Vivian, you know, it bookends the, the plot of the film with the portrayal in the Reese Witherspoon Walk the Line movie, the portrayal by Kristen Wiig, Wiig in a parody sense from Walk Hard. And they're like, she would have been mortified to watch this. This would have killed her if, hmm. if she was able to watch this. And you, you get a basically you get two hours of them making the case for why that's happening, why this is much more of a complicated issue when you, you portray these these characters in, 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 in these movies. So I, I thought it was fascinating and right up our alley. I, I would recommend it. You got a couple days left to watch all of these uh, South by Southwest offerings. And I have a bunch of short film recommendations that I'll rip through quick. Vert, Single, Still Wild, The Voice in Your Head, Hit Play, Because We Can. Those were all ec- excellent. I think my favorites in terms of the short films, I had two favorites. Daddio from Gone Girl, Black Monday, actress Casey Wilson making her debut as a director starring legendary comedian Michael McKeon as her father. It's a hilarious true story about how funny and weird her dad is and how they dealt with their mom's, uh, you know, his wife's death. It was a wild short film. And then Mike... I watched documentary short film, kind of put it on in passing, and next thing I know, I'm welling up in tears. It's about <laughs> the uh, the Academy Awards of quilting. You heard me right, of quilting. It's called Quilt Fever. This was so friggin' adorable. Everybody's grandma is cast in this movie. <laughs> And I couldn't believe how emotional I got. I was just, I was so happy for them. They have all these friends. They found something they love. I mean, best doc short possibilities here. I I genuinely think so for the Oscars. Uh, Olivia Marion has really got herself some some great exposure. And it's such a feel-good movie. So those are my recommendations for the uh, South by Southwest offerings on Amazon Prime running until May 6th. Quilt fever and Mm -hmm. the Oscars of quilting. (laughs) Is a sentence I didn't think we'd ever say uh, when we started MMO back in the day. I can't believe it. I can't believe it was that good. And it just told like I was half paying attention. And then once it got me, it grabbed me really quick. And I, I just loved it. So I, I'm doing only positive reviews this week. I did watch some movies that I, I'm negative about. Sella and the Spage was it was a huge disappointment. Yeah, it hasn't been getting good reviews. Beastie Boys story. It's just it's basically a stage show. And these guys are clunky with it. I, I, I don't know. It wasn't my jam, I guess. Extraction, the uh, Chris Hemsworth actioner on Netflix. I didn't like it. It's ridiculous. He kills hundreds to save one, and he does it savagely. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I and I'm gonna be. I'm hate watching devs right now. I'm three episodes in. I'm probably gonna finish it. I just I hate it. I'm sorry. I love uh, Alex Garland stuff. You know, Ex Machina. I loved Annihilation, but I'm just not liking devs so far. It's preposterous. But whatever. Everybody loves it, so I'm in the minority. I, I watched a f- the first few episodes of Defending Jacob on uh, Apple TV Plus with Chris Why? Evans. It's not good. I watched. Why, the, would you wa- why did you watch that? Uh, it's, I have not it, heard good things. It's so cliched. That's the problem. And I, I don't want to finish that one. The English Game from Julian Fellows, the Downton Abbey guy on Netflix, is a little better. It's kind of sports related. It's about soccer, early soccer fandom and stuff, uh, you know, late 18th century. So I'll probably finish that one at the very least. I may give up on defending Jacob. And I'm going to, like I said, hate watch devs. Well, all right. So if you want to hate watch something or you want to genuinely enjoy something, hopefully we got a couple of recommendations in there that'll satiate your fervor. We can talk (laughs) about other news from this week. And do you care? I've got to know. Do you care? 
segment. This is where we take all the news stories of the week. We ask each other, do we, should we, or will we care about them? The way we start every Do You Care segment is I ask Quarantined Michael here about the new releases coming out this week. And as it has been lately, these are all going to be on Netflix or VOD. So on Netflix, we had these came out already, but we didn't get a chance to mention them. Hollywood, season one from Ryan Murphy, A Secret Love, which is a documentary, All Day and a Night. That's from Joe Robert Cole, who wrote and direct this prison drama starring Jeffrey Wright and Moonlight's Ashton Sanders. So uh, th- these have been so these have been polarizing, Mike. I think uh, A Secret Love has gotten, you know, a lot of people, you know, thinking it's great and then it, it, it's like but it's boring. And then Hollywood from Ryan Murphy got half the critics saying it's a mess and then, you know, some people are thinking it's terrific. I, I think it's built on the premise of Scotty and the Secret History of Hollywood, that documentary I reviewed way back. Mm-hmm. So I don't, and that was a rough documentary to watch. It was it was sad. So I yeah, I don't know if I can go in for any of those to be honest. I haven't seen many reviews of any of them either, to be. I've seen some stuff on Hollywood. It's a Ryan Murphy property. It's pretty much you can expect what you expect from that. But we also have stuff coming out this week. We have Becoming, which is going to be a secret Michelle Obama documentary that's dropping this week on the 6th. We had only started hearing about this, I think, two weeks ago. Yeah, we're going to do an OSP for it next. So I think it's from that production company that's one for one. And Crip Crip (laughs) Camp was awesome. So... Two for two, so the Obamas are making movies, and they're doing a good job so far. Let's see if they'll be three for three. Yeah, they have a nice relationship set up with Netflix right now, for sure. Jerry Seinfeld has a new special for the first time in however many years for 23 Hours to Kill. We're white. We're watching it. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Eddie. Yeah, I saw him live. It was kind of disappointing, but Jerry Seinfeld doesn't need my approval anyway, so yeah, I'll watch it. He's got me hooked. Uh, We also have The Eddie, which is a limited series about jazz from Damien Chazelle, and it was somehow made without Ryan Gosling, so there you go with that. Yeah, I don't know. Are you going to watch that? (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. I will be watching The Lodge, though. That's coming out on Hulu, which you saw and were, were kind of iffy on. Yeah, watch that. No, that's a, it's a cool horror movie. It's it's strange. You'll you'll probably be into it. I would su- I would suggest you watch that. I will not be watching Star Wars Episode Nine again though. Debuting <laughs> no, on you're Disney not Plus. Try it? I know we're recording this on May the fourth, but I I'm gonna have to get really bored to watch that. I probably will watch if they put anything virtual for Star Wars Celebration tonight. Uh, I'm gonna look on YouTube see if I can find something. Maybe for next week's what we're watching, we'll have something on that. Because last year we covered it with that Ken Ken Napsa interview and it was it was a blast and then we yeah, had a was, breaking news episode yeah. debuted their trailer as well for episode nine there was a lot to talk about they do have stuff to talk about they can't touch on they've been handing out star wars properties like their freaking ice cream truck lately. true so uh, maybe they'll have something for us as well i hope so we need something anything <laughs> entertaining <laughs> michael let me ask you about a few horror tv properties coming out first we have lovecraft country this is an hbo show from jordan peele and jj abrams starring kenneth michael kenneth williams courtney b vance jonathan majors from the last black man in san francisco journey smole bell and ingenue ellis uh yeah i don't know how a jordan peele jj abrams hp lovecraft property was in the works and i didn't know about it until the trailer dropped but i'm all for it uh i'm very very much uh looking forward to anything jordan peele does you know that now if you've listened he's going right into his trope of Mm -hmm. take an old time song slow it down put it over (laughs) some singular piano notes and there you have a whole new horror soundtrack for you which he does in this as well i thought the monsters looked 
you know, for just the glimpses we were given of them. We weren't given full money shots, but the monsters, for what they looked like, looked like they were pretty terrifying. So I'm absolutely in for this. I think it's an awesome trailer. I almost bought the book, but I'm I'm going to pay this show the compliment of not reading the book first. So I think, yeah, I'm into this. I can't wait. All right. Well, the next property I'm going to have nothing to say about, but I know you have a lot to say about it. It is a Hellraiser TV series coming to HBO from David Gordon Green and Michael Doherty. I'm not a big Hellraiser guy. I never have been. Thank but God. if David Gordon Green is doing it, I don't know how you can't be intrigued by it. Like, we've only seen glimpses so far about how over-the-top grotesque Gordon Green can be because we only had one truly gnarly kill on screen in 2018's Halloween. We've only seen shots of montages of what's to come in Halloween kills if that actually comes out this year. But... For Hellraiser, you got to bring the weird and the over-the-top morbid and just the the awfulness. And I think he has that in him. I've always thought Pinhead and Company lent themselves well and more so to a miniseries than to actually movies anyway. I, I told you, it's basically Lord of the Rings, but if Frodo and Samwise all got sucked into the ring and it turned into a puzzle box and just unleashed hell on the next person. dare you? How dare you, <laughs> sir? You're right. It's better. You're right. Thank you for correcting Ugh. me. Fuck Lord of the Rings. Hellraiser and <laughs> is where it's at. There's no way. There's no way this is going to be great. I, I Look, I read the script of the first Hellraiser. I probably said this before. It's so disgusting. I will never watch the movie. I don't care what Rotten Tomatoes score it gets. I'm just, I'm afraid. All right. You want to break be. me down, Rocky you should be. Speech? I'm afraid. <laughs> it's weird. It's out there, man. <laughs> I don't want to watch it. It's just you. Dana Carvey doing George Herbert. Not goddamn. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Uh, you mentioned you alluded to the Hunger Games earlier, Michael. We now have Hunger Games prequels and a book are coming out as well as the movie. Uh, would you have anything on that? The books are way better than the movies, by the way. So, like, if you're going to do one of the two things, I would recommend the books. I know you're not going to do that. I no, think absolutely f- not. Actually, I just spent $15 on all four Hunger Game movies this weekend on so, DVD. All right. Well, that doesn't say anything. <laughs> you have, like, a th- 190 movies in yeah. your collection that you've never seen before. You're the only person I know. True. True. That buys movie after movie that they've never seen. You blind buy everything. You're insane. I like having shelves filled with things, but I don't need to necessarily review them first. You're a hoarder? Is that what you do? <laughs> That's what it is? I You're like a- media. I like information. And I'll get to it eventually. You won't. You've You're proven right. this. You're probably And then right. when you do, you watch the, you you pick the most infuriating things. Like, I'll watch Legion because I think <laughs> Legion is going to be good. And then you have the audacity to tell me, Mike, Legion sucked. I bought this and it yeah, sucks. Yeah, Legion, Legion was bad. No, you shouldn't watch a, Legion. This is a you problem. This is a you problem. And yeah, you should watch the first and second Hunger Games. I thought those were both really strong. I mean, I oops. will watch only the third and fourth ones. Well, the third and fourth ones aren't as good. So I'm sure that's what you'll do. <laughs> <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman's good in the second one. Can that get you to watch it? Yes, I will watch his scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, I think uh, I think you're crazy. Anyway, Thank the you. Olivia Wilde movie uh, just attached to Florence Pugh, Shia LaBeouf, Chris Pine. This project is called Don't Worry Darling. Do you care? 
Yeah, I care deeply about this. We actually discussed the bidding war that went on for the rights to this production. Mm. This is Wilde's follow-up to Booksmart. New Line ended up winning that bidding war, and now Mr. Reliable himself, Anthony D'Alessandro from Deadline, Damn right. had some follow-up info uh, when these cast announcements were made. Pugh will be the lead in the psychological thriller, which is set in an isolated utopian community in the 1950s California desert. Wilde will also star, as we cool. previously reported, as well as direct and produce. BAFTA-nominated screenwriter Katie Silverman, who was one of the writers on Booksmart, is writing the Don't Worry Darling screenplay based nice. on a spec script by Shane and Carrie Van Dyke. Uh, the executives of New Line will be overseeing this as well as co-producing alongside Wild. So the 1950s, it's a desert pick. It's a psychological thriller. I did some basic research to see if this may be based off any real-life famous murders or anything. I couldn't find much other than random mysterious disappearances that happened in that part of the country in that decade. Hmm. And also, I, I found this along the way. You can kill someone in a piece of Yellowstone National Park and it isn't murder or murder's not illegal there but that's Mike, a different co conversation for a different day you can also kill a bigfoot in yellowstone national park and the men in black will uh <laughs> will clear it clean it up that's what maybe I've been that's learning. why murders maybe that's why murder is not a crime there but anyway so yeah i'm wildly optimistic about this especially if you look at the most recent work by everyone attached obviously olivia wilde behind the camera with Booksmart, in front of the camera with her work in richard jewell florence Pugh. it speaks for itself chris pine and shia labeouf are two people that are on the rise as well and shia labeouf especially we should be intrigued by with what he just put forth in honey boy last year so very very excited for this i think i speak for both of us when i say that we need movies to get excited about so this is yeah. the kind of news that i wanted to lean into this week i'm very glad you care cared so much about this one and so do i so that's excellent i'm i'm, I'm hyped like all these you know these people all these female filmmakers you got a lot of feminine talent driving this ship so that's that's really important for the industry it had a bidding war with a major studio too a lot of pieces this past week about this summer, you know, not having the blockbuster lineup that it should have. And it's really a hit to female filmmakers because you had Black Widow, you had Wonder Woman, which is still up there. Fine. But, you know, you had a lot of female directors, you know, behind these blockbusters. And that was a major bummer, especially how they, they put it on the IndieWire article to, that I, I read this morning. So this is an important you know, movie for for that reason at, at the very least, and yeah, Olivia Wilde crushed it with Booksmart. So let, we're absolutely, in. absolutely. But Mike, we got some sad news in this episode. Erfan Khan passed away at 53 years old. There's no way to transition to this, but he did die of a rare form of cancer. He was a you know a crossover star in both Bollywood and Hollywood. He wound up winning three Indian Academy Awards. Uh, amidst nine nominations he had a a great career uh, in bollywood from 1986 to 2006 and then he came to hollywood and, and had, a, had a great crossover career uh for, for our movies too like you said the last 14 years erfan also became a star of the world over with roles in the namesake a mighty heart the darjeeling limited which all led to a breakout role in slumdog millionaire that made him a household name and face over here stateside he followed up the success with international hits like life of pi and jurassic world uh true he also had some big misses like the amazing spider-man and inferno but even nabbing those roles were a testament to his star power and he used that star power to push some smaller projects like Puzzle and The Lunchbox over the top. Yeah, I love those two movies. I thought they were terrific. I, I think this man was a, a great actor, obviously taken from us way too soon. 53, that sucks. So yeah. we pass along our condolences to his family and friends. 
Yeah, and the same can be said for Sam Lloyd, who unfortunately passed away this week as well. 56 years old from lung cancer. Probably best known for his role. I know this is certainly where he came into my heart. Uh, Lawyer Ted Buckland in Scrubs for 95 episodes. Zach Braff called him the funniest actor he's ever worked with and someone who was difficult to act against because they couldn't get through a scene together without breaking down into fits of laughter. So the cool thing about his career, Mike, is that he, he's got these bit parts in a lot of you know high-profile things. 69 credits on IMDb, uh, a number that is ironically funny, by the way, and a testament to his <laughs> ply and trade there. But you know, Lloyd had roles in Galaxy Quest, Flubber, Desperate Housewives, and Modern Family, and I hope for our audience it's working the way it is on me because I remember him in those projects just like offhand. And right. it's, 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 it's great that uh, he, is, he stood out so much and he's so funny in everything. Everything. So again, you know, we pass along our regards to the Lloyd family and friends. I mean, we've lost two, uh, you know, young actors uh, of late, and it's just indeed very sad news. Yeah, I was just, uh, I, I go back to Scrubs too. Scrubs is like The Office in uh, Parks and Rec for mm-hmm. me. It's kind of, if I'm, I'm watching, I don't know what I'm watching yet, I'll go back to those. And man, he really embraced that role as Ted. He was so funny. So oh, certainly. Hilarious. Uh, Certainly, I echo what you say here, bud, and they certainly will be missed and gone far too soon and not really an easy way to transition, but we, we will try to wrap things up here by going through our audience interaction segment as we have our Six Degrees of MMO from about a week and a half ago now. Geraldine yeah. Viswanathan going to Michael Jordan was your challenge. Michael, who starts off the Efficiency Awards? Yeah, we have Matt Starfighter at Matt Starfighter saying Geraldine Viswanathan to Leslie Mann to Danny DeVito to Michael Jordan. Jordan, and that goes through Blockers, The Comedian, and then Space Jam. So big bang, boom there. Joe Messon said uh, Geraldine Viswanathan did voice work on BoJack Horseman, which features a character that is a goat. <laughs> Michael Jordan is the acronym GOAT. So That's bam, true. He, he goes hashtag slam dunk. That's true. That's a great, great <laughs> entry there by Joe. Uh, this is a, its own special award as Dark Nook has been getting often lately. The We have to stop encouraging this, but it's still evil and funny. Dark yeah. Nook weighed in with a couple <laughs> entries here at Dark Nook Shop. Michael Jordan has worked with the Make-A-Wish Foundation, visiting more than 200 sick kids over the last 30 years. The sports celebrity who holds the record for most visits mm. is John Cena with more than 600 wishes granted. Wow. Cena was in blockers with Geraldine Viswanathan. He's actually still granting wishes even during COVID. I just saw his social media a lovely just humanitarian setup by dark nook before this to drop the hammer on us and now and no you got to say that again and now (laughs) (laughs) michael jordan was famous for dunking the ball and hanging from the rim another celebrity famous for hanging was good god David Carradine, who was in Kill Bill with Uma Thurman, who was in Movie 43 with Hugh Jackman, who was in Bad Education. Make it stop. I have to go shower. Go ahead, Mike. Make it stop. (laughs) But it's funny. It's evil. It's funny. Dark Nook. You're you're crazy. Mike Mike won. You gave your toast of approval award again, and it's going to Mark Burgundy at the One Hanson. This reads, Michael Jordan plays basketball, as does Shaq, who once squared up to the big show whose nose was messed up by Floyd Floyd Mayweather, Yes, who was in Zombie Brothel with the great Kali, who is in Get Smart with the Rock, who has kicked the ass of John Cena. 
and and John Cena, of course, was in blockers with Geraldine Viswanathan. Mike, I figured you would toast that one. I know none of his references there. You do. <laughs> I don't understand how it's 2020 and some mu- movie executive hasn't gotten John Cena and The Rock on screen together yet. That seems to be a massive oversight, and that would easily sell itself. But yes. Are they buddies? I don't think they like each other much at all, but they've done business together multiple times, and they know they make they know how to make money. So I think that's what matters more than being friendly with someone if you're that famous, doesn't it? I guess so. I guess that's <laughs> why you're also in for Fast Nine, right? No, uh, no, I'm not because John Cena having to play Vin Diesel's brother as he's introduced in the trailer is too much even for me. <laughs> that's kind of ridiculous. That's right. I can't. I just, I'm just remembering that. Yeah, I, I'll always remember it. <laughs> yeah, we'll move on. The You're Damned Right Award goes to Ian from Kuslan. I think I said that right. K-U-Y-S-L-A-N. Michael Jordan is in Space Jam with Teresa Randall, who is in Shit Year, or 2020, as it's better known. Nice one there with Ellen Barkin. Barkin is in the Oceans franchise, which also features Julia Roberts, who's in August Osage County, with the up-and-coming Meryl Streep. Yeah. Streep is in the second season of Big Little Lies with Catherine Newton, who's in Blockers with Geraldine Viswanathan. A lot of Blockers love on this chain this week. A lot of Blockers love. That's a funny movie. It's, yeah, it's I'm going to have to rewatch that. Book of the Week, once again, goes to Swamp Thing, played by CGI Luke Kirby at Wojciech Weischer. Mike, he connected MJ right off the bat to Larry the Cable Guy by their birthdays. Jesus. There's Parks and Rec uh, references here. The Critics' Choice, Rick and Morty, BoJack Horseman, all get shout-outs. So go and read that on our Twitter. Great job by Wojciech once again. <laughs> the winner this week Teresa Seidenberg at Wookie Lava L-O-V-A at the end there Geraldine was in blockers with Gina Gershon Gina Gershon's movie Showgirls has a dance off with Elizabeth Berkeley. Michael Jordan had a dance off with Scottie Pippen at Pippen's 47th birthday party great job Teresa there you are the winner and owner of all things bragging rights six degrees of MMO and Teresa's gonna start off a new throne for us right Mike yeah, because we're just going to assume that our last improv you know, got us both arrested for that old <laughs> throne. We're blinding people, Purell cannon, yeah. you were firing it. We got it, wasn't, a... it wasn't street legal. It was not street legal. So, all right, so this new throne, what are we going to do? with? Uh, we're still in the same spot we used to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think you, one of us has to do the yes so that the other person could do the and here. I'm 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 wallowing and all right. Nothing. Well, it's getting nice out in this okay. part of the country. Thank you. So yeah, I got you. Uh, it's getting nice out in this part of the country. So the throne isn't so much a throne this month as it is one of those old time lawn chairs that have like the interwoven threads behind it, and that's what okay. you sit on. So that's your throne. That's the base of it so far. All right, I got something. The lawn Go chair is also a lawn mower. So basically, you're just over mowing your own lawn (laughs) again and again with that throne. Because you're trying to kill time. You can't think of anything else to do. You're trapped in quarantine. So you might as well make sure the yard is in pristine condition as any good elder white father would do. Yeah, that's that's so. So, yeah, that's uh, one of the points of pride, certainly, uh, with with my dad on the horn. No doubt. So that'll be your throne for this month of May to start. We'll build on it as the months go. Congratulations to Teresa Seidenberg at Wookie Lover. You are the winner this week. Mike, what is the challenge for the good people next week okay so we got lovecraft country and jonathan majors is going to be the star of that he was awesome in the last black man of san francisco he's got an up-and-coming career here i'm glad jordan peele is featuring him in that so jonathan majors to 
somebody on the comeback trail, Michael. And we were <laughs> thrilled at this in our news of the week. Steve Zahn. All right. So Jonathan Majors to Steve Zahn. I just looked through their IMDBs. I don't think they were in anything together. So you got new school to old school. Let's do it. There you go. That is your challenge for this week. And that has been your weekly serving of Mike, Mike, and Oscar Weekly. Guys, as always, we want to hear your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns on anything we covered in this episode, as well as anything we do here in the MMO Empire. You can leave us those. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com, and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts. And if you're quarantining with us and letting us try to entertain you, we can cannot thank you enough yes. and in turn if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review on apple Podcasts, that would be really really cool of you michael tell the good people what is coming next and what are some words of wisdom so we're going to do an osp on becoming the michelle obama documentary hitting netflix this week then we're going to decide between our next bond installment we're going to do D- uh, timothy dalton and you know the living daylights and license to kill those two films i don't know which of us is reviewing which we got to talk but that you know we may not be able to do that this week because we may get some more oscar news so you might get an oscar race checkpoint you might get that at any time we will cover the breaking news for you like we did last week i'm pretty proud of those episodes those were so much fun yeah and we got into some crazy discussions but they're not crazy though they're kind of you know grounded in reality yeah. in this fourth reality discussions right yeah they're, they're stuff that's definitely going to be coming down the pipeline but what about words of wisdom michael well you and i are agoraphobic just in general right so we will be the uh anxiety filled people saying don't go out too early people don't go out too early i think it's wise <laughs> to say maybe wait another week or two you've already gone this long you know, do stay safe. I think it's obvious uh, to, to continue to give those words of wisdom because they are wise. Stay safe. Don't get anybody infected. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's it's important, right? Absolutely. And uh, as much as our agoraphobia does take over, like you said, uh, <laughs> it, it is wise to still keep a safe social distance from one another. So like Mike said, do be safe out there. Uh, I think that's very wise words indeed, guys. When reality sucks, you can come watch these movies with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you soon. See ya.